Hello there, and welcome to Long Distance Joy, conversations between two long-distance friends about faith, culture, life, and all the things that bring us joy. I'm Lizzie. I live in uh, North Texas with my husband and my son, and I work as a client manager for a tax consulting firm. And I'm Abby. I live in the D.C., Washington, D.C. area, working in the nonprofit world um, as a recruiter, so helping people find their right fit in the workplace. We're so glad you're here, and we can't wait to get started. Wonderful. Thank you. Hi, Lizzie. Hey, Abby. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. Do you want to go ahead and introduce our topic? I would love to. This is what we've been talking about for a while. Actually, I think since we probably started talking about podcasting, uh, we are going to talk about some of our favorite literary heroines who have inspired, guided, and in some ways even mentored us through life in ways that we will we'll talk about. Um, so we each chose three just to make it a good, good Trinitarian number, um, but also to make it manageable <laughs> because I'm sure there are upwards of two dozen that we could each name of people who have impacted us as, uh, as our literary heroines. But yeah, we're going to just jump Absolutely. in and, and kind of see who we've each chosen. So I don't know who you've chosen yeah. and I don't think I've share with you yet either so this would be kind of fun <laughs> yeah I'm excited so um, I definitely put a lot of thought into this so my first literary character um, and I guess I should also preface this that these are of course all women um, we probably could do a whole separate podcast on the men um, but we're gonna start <laughs> off with just women yes um, so my top pick is going to be um, Selena Peak from a book called So Big by um, I believe Edna Ferber and this is actually my top favorite book of all times I'm a huge fan I could read this book all the time and so just kind of an overview of what the book is about because I know it's not as well known as um, some of the other books this one is about a woman who is the daughter of a uh, gambler and he um, passes away unexpectedly actually in an accident and she's left, I think, at either 17 or 18 to kind of fend for herself in her life. So she goes to a small um, Dutch community outside of Chicago. It's uh, primarily a vegetable, and, um, like a vegetable farming community. And she's the teacher. And of course, she ends up falling in love and getting married to one of the Dutch. Uh, he's actually a widower, so one of the Dutch widowers. And... Um, she has a son of her own and eventually loses her husband. So it's all about her raising her son, trying to keep this farm afloat. Um, and she's just a very resilient character. Um, and it really represents the, the true story of the American dream of wanting to have a better life for your children and sacrificing so hard to be able to pass on something even greater than you were given. So um, I highly recommend this book. I think it's just an absolutely wonderfully ex inspiring story. And there's kind of, I don't want to give it away in case anybody <laughs> wants to read it, but just uh, it follows her and then the story of her son as well. Oh, yeah. um, so, and his name is Dirk. So I picked Selena Peak as my top uh, choice because I think that she represents um, true hard work without losing an eye for beauty in the everyday. Um, that's something that's highlighted again and again in the story that, you know, she's out working in the the vegetable patch and, and she sees carrots and beets and she just admires the beauty of the color against the soil. 
and you know she's always bringing in her own literary references which is kind of fun um yeah. but she even though she works really hard all day every day to you know just pull a living from this earth she never loses that sense of beauty and that sense of wonder at, at the smallest things um I love she's, that. <laughs> uh, she's just incredible so um, of course, that goes along with that. She's very selfless. Um, she you know, she works out in the field, which is not something that women did in those days. She was definitely um, ahead of her time. She was very daring. She um, like took what she needed kind of without questioning, well, you know, I'm a woman, so I'm not supposed to be in the field. And it's like, no, I have to create a, a home for my son. I'm going out in the field. So she was just very, very ahead of her time in that way. Um, and the last thing that I would like to say is that she's very resourceful. Um, in the book, kind of a, a point of contention between her and her husband before he passes away is that she has this, it's a set of uh, acreage that is just complete like muckland. It doesn't, it, it doesn't grow anything. It's too wet. So she ends up cultivating it and um, actually grows asparagus there, which was kind of a delicacy then and ends up eventually becoming uh, famous for her asparagus that was grown out of this land that had no potential value until she took it and and basically created something for it so so that's my top pick selena peak by from so big by edna ferber no i love that and i something that just struck me as you're describing selena working with asparagus <laughs> I mean, as, as, as cute as that may seem on the surface, like that's a really beautiful analogy of like the feminine heart as well. We think about, mm -hmm. um, I think it's St. Eusebius Stein who had this great quote and I always try to reference it and I always butcher it, but it goes something along the lines of a woman's heart and is one in which other souls may unfold. And it just mm -hmm. kind of made me think of that quote in relation to how it sounds like Selena was able to take something which from a regular passerby didn't look like much but was able to really draw out of it the full potential and that's a, mm -hmm. such a, a feminine quality like a true femininity and I just think that's so beautiful absolutely absolutely and I what I love about her too is that I feel like you know modern day uh feminism I think sometimes misses the mark in in trying to take away the true womanly character of a woman and in in this case what I loved about her is that you know, she, she kind of had a little bit of that modern day feminism of, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to do what I need to do and, and I'm not going to let a typical stereotype stand in my way, but she still kept that, that thirst for beauty and that ability, like you said, to make things unfold that otherwise wouldn't. And yeah. so I just, I love that delicate balance that she has of the modern woman that refuses to give up her own femininity that makes her who she is. Yeah. Yeah, wow. I love that this is, I remember you mentioning this book in college, honestly, because the title has always stuck out to me, because it just, yes. it seems like kind <laughs> of a contradiction. Like, what's that about? <laughs> There's such a contradiction in terms, but how, now that you have a little one, has that book mm -hmm. shaped the way that you parent? Um, It has a little bit, only in that I love the way, even in, in the, um, there's a scene in the book where, you know, she's, she's packing up the the wagon to go to the market with all of her vegetables and and she like steps back and she says like like Dirk isn't it beautiful aren't they beautiful and just kind of trying to pass that on to her son of you know even the everyday is beautiful mm -hmm. um I've definitely found myself trying to think of ways even though my little guy's you know not quite a year um just trying to think of ways that I can you know 
tell him like isn't that beautiful and it's something that's just in the everyday <laughs> oh I love that I mean you know I love little things like that so that's really special to hear that's what oh, you gotta do <laughs> yeah no I love that um so I can I can jump in with my my top <laughs> literary character um and it's ironic because one of the qualities about my character that I chose to start with is her indecisiveness and I'm gonna just start there because I had a really hard time deciding who to start with of the three that I chose <laughs> because they're all so applicable and I've always loved these these characters the first thing to start with is um Philippa Gordon a not as well-known character in the Anna Green Gable series and I love that we're also choosing maybe characters in books that are not quote-unquote mainstream literary yes right <laughs> absolutely we're so hipster <laughs> I love it um no i <laughs> Uh, so Philippa Gordon, some background on her. She um, she enters the stage in Anne of the Island, which is actually one of my favorite books in the Anne series because I've always just found it so relatable. It deals with a lot of life change and it, how what it feels like to leave home and recognize that you're leaving behind something good, but you're also stepping into something good uh, and being able to be okay with that and with the heartbreak that sometimes that feels as you're kind of stepping out of old comfort zones. So Anne goes off mm -hmm. to college. You know, she's at Redmond, which is no longer on the island anymore so she's not in green gables and one of the first people she meets when she starts this college is philippa gordon who is this um i always resonate she's dark haired <laughs> i kind of appreciate that but she's also just she's very extroverted loves being around people but she philippa actually kind of seeks Anne out because she sees that there's this, this quality about her that's so special and very unique and so philippa's from a very well-off family but doesn't really make much of that but she always kind of jokes that she has to marry for wealth because like oh she's so high maintenance you know but this is all said in depth about herself <laughs> it's like very self-deprecating um and then one of the parts in the very beginning she jokes about having heaps of brains um and I just always appreciate that because according to Ellen Montgomery she actually does and she's just such a balance of intelligence she's, she's very smart um she's also very funny and some of the lines like one of my ultimate favorite lines that I always would come back to during finals week is she Philippa like flops into Anne's room one time because they're roommates later on in the book and she's studying for a test and she goes oh I wish I were dead or tomorrow we're over and <laughs> Anne and Anne just looks at her and goes well you live long enough soon both will come to pass and I just always thought that was so funny line that's hilarious <laughs> it's like a chapter chapter opener it just always tickled me uh, so I love her wit she's very funny um and she also has a deep empathy and she's just able to kind of catch catch that someone maybe isn't doing well and will stop like she she's a talker <laughs> I resonate mm -hmm. um and in the midst of like the busyness of all the things that she wants to do and the city social life that she keeps she's able to empathize with her roommates and her friends and those who are around her um also I like to credit her somewhat with for the fact that Anne and Gilbert end up together because <laughs> Anne is taken with this dark dreamy man who she, she thinks fulfills all of her you know her ideal her ideal man um but he, he doesn't have a sense of humor which Gilbert does um and Philippa has always said to Anne like all right Anne he's obviously the one for you like wise up just you know but she's able to really straight talk with Anne and be like all right you need to realize that he loves you and you guys are perfect for each other basically and Anne doesn't want to hear it but I always love that Philippa or Phil as her friends call her um is able to be like nope this is the thing that you need to see um yes. <laughs> so yeah I just love that she's just she's fantastic she's very indecisive as I mentioned before and that's like a whole like undergirding quality of her she like is you know quote-unquote dating two different guys throughout most of the book and then 
she's like, I have to marry one of them because they're just like, they're like her hanger-ons kind of in a sense. Um, <laughs> and they're like the typical rich guy that she would have been expected to marry. And mm. she ends up actually marrying this man named Jonas, who is a, he's a preacher. And she always, <laughs> like, she's writing Anna a letter and she's like, but he's poor. But she ultimately talks about how much, you know, she realizes how well they're suited. And so I've always just loved this. <laughs> That she, um, even though she's indecisive, when it comes to, like, a big thing, that kind of maybe indecisive shell can kind of fall away, and she can really, uh, she can make the right call, and she has a lot of prudence in that. So she's just mm. great. She's thoughtfully extroverted. She loves bringing people together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love her. Thank goodness she brought Anne and Gilbert together, because otherwise, that would have just been devastating. <laughs> I would have been heartbroken. I think uh, childhood <laughs> dreams would have been crushed if that book absolutely so and that's actually a complete side note I deeply desire to name one of my daughters one day my my fictional daughters Philippa oh because I just think it's a beautiful name also references Saint Philip Neri who was known to be very joyful saint and get this Pippin is a nickname for Philip so I could Oh, like Pippa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's like merging all the great literary things together in one person. Anyways, that's a lot of pressure for a name, but that's that's my first literary heroine. I love her, and I sometimes do think, what would Philippa do? Yes, I love, I love that that she's relatable, and that you know sometimes what I've I found I have trouble with in in some books is that you know, characters seem to be just, like, untouchable, like, they're too perfect, and, mm, yeah. and I love when you stumble across ones where, yeah, they're indecisive, and they talk a lot, and they're dramatic, and <laughs> you're just like, I, uh, like, this is my soul sister, like, she gets me. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, definitely, wow. yes, can definitely under- appreciate that, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's always funny, though, it's almost like looking at yourself in the mirror, it's like when you walk past the mirror, and you're like, Oh, is that another person you realize you're looking at yourself kind of thing? Mm, yes, um, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. So my second pick is going to be Laura Ingalls Wilder, um, both a literary character and also an author. So um, she's she probably doesn't necessarily fit the bill of like totally fictional, but um, she was definitely somebody that shaped um, – shaped who I am definitely from a very young age. Um, I, for our listeners that haven't read her books, she starts off um, her series with, I think she's five years old. Something yeah, like that. She's pretty little. Yeah. Yes. And her books, her, her beginning books are very easy to read. They're geared towards a younger audience. And then it follows her story all the way through her getting married. And the story kind of grows with the reader so I started off when I was really little reading Little House in the Big Woods which I think is the first one yes oh they're all so good and then eventually you know I read through all of the the ones where she was young and then I didn't realize that there was ones when she was older so when I was older I went back and read them and so she kind of followed me throughout my my childhood and my young adult years um but what I I really loved about her was um just her way of life was so different from mine. Um, She starts off living in a log cabin and they move um, by covered wagon to go start a house and start a homestead on the prairie, which is little house on the prairie, which is more well-known. And just seeing how um, 
society and technology advances through the books. And then even from there, seeing how different her life is from mine in, in that, you know, they made all their clothes, they made all their food, they lived off the land. I always enjoyed being able to look at her resourcefulness and apply it to my, and also to be thankful for things that I would normally um, take for granted, like electricity or running water, not having to go out to the well and drop the bucket and, you know, haul it up. (laughs) She definitely also documented um, beauty in the everyday, which I always appreciated. Um, Things like traditions and how they um, did their chores and kind of the order to their life always really spoke to me. Um, And then also just how close she was to her family. Um, I loved reading the stories of how, you know, at the end of a long day and everyone was tired and her dad would, you know, play his fiddle or they would read out loud and um, just finding those times to be, to be close to one another and to just enjoy each other, to live a simple life, to be content with what you have into, you know, just to, to savor those moments of simplicity. So that's my pick number two. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. So yeah, I love that you read mentioned those books because I sometimes forget about them because I read my parents, my dad actually read them out loud to me as a little kid. And so, oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I need to reread them. It's been a while. Like, I don't think I initially, I don't know, maybe I did. Um, no, they're such good books. I also love how all your characters use like, stalwart pioneering sold women yes. um, <laughs> I think that if I, I hadn't been born when I was I would have been like a pioneer woman because I uh, yeah I definitely those kind of kinds of women speak to me <laughs> no it's so true I could see you in a in a Conestoga wagon and a bonnet it's very you <laughs> yeah. skirt and you know chasing the chickens around and <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh I hate chickens <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Moonshine. Yep, that'd be me. (laughs) You know what? You know what works for you. (laughs) No, Uh, that's awesome. I love thinking about that too. Like, what? Who? What time period would you have been born in? It's a a fascinating question to think about. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Very good. So I can roll out my second character. Um, and mine are not in a particular order. Like I said, indecisive, sort of, kind of. I like just came up with them. So I'm just going to go with it. My second character is Eowyn from the Lord of the Rings. Um, Mm. I have always loved those books. Another book series that my dad read out loud to me as a kid. Um, We did a lot of after dinner reading sessions as a family. And that kind of like framed a lot of my childhood. He actually read the Lord of the Rings out loud to me when I was like seven or eight. Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I remember, I remember it when we finished. And it just has like such strong um, nostalgia for me. But so I always love the character oh, of Eowyn yeah. and having read them now as an adult a few times, something that I've always loved about her, well, let me back up. For those of you who are not familiar with The Lord of the Rings, you should A, read it. They're fantastic books that are just mm. so steeped in tradition and myth. They're great. Um, but Eowyn is in this fictional world of Middle Earth. And she is the, the niece of the King of Rohan, which is this Viking-ish um, kingdom and they are very much like horse people like they are their military is all horseback or cavalry and it takes place in this very like medieval ish like dark era dark ages kind of time period so there's a lot of you know like sitting around the hearth and they are all you know wearing body armor and whatnot it's just like it's a very different era than obviously what, that which we live in 
Um, but I love Awen because she is considered like she's this beautiful, resourceful, thoughtful, and strong woman who they people kind of underestimate her a lot because they're like, oh, you're you're just a woman. Like at one part, so one of the things that it resonates. Sorry, I'm a little all over the place with her, but the reason I love her so much is because um, one of her something I resonate with is that she wants to protect those she loves very deeply. And so it motivates a lot of the things in her life. And she's seen the man who she's supposed to marry die um, without her being able to be there. And like, it's just like a lot of trauma that she sees. But, um, Mm -hmm. and so she has a sense of like, I want to protect those I love. If my death is required to do that, so be it kind of thing. She's just like a really all in kind of person. Um, And so she, uh, yeah, she kind of underestimated her brother at one point. She's like, I'm going to go fight with you. And he's like, what? Why would you want to do that? You're just a woman. Like, haha like go back to the hearth kind of thing um, oh my god <laughs> I mean it's definitely like a brother sister relationship but there's a little bit of that like oh what do you know like you're just you're just you right. um but I love that she balances the quietness of her life because in a lot of ways she kind of serves an unseen purpose in court she's like helping the king you know manage when the when the men are out you know writing protecting the kingdom so she helps a lot of things behind the scenes and yet she yearns to be a heroine. She wants to help be part of the ones that like save the day. And there's this great line that I've just, uh, it just like hits me in the stomach because she doesn't want to like end up in a cage where she can't do anything. Like she wants to have the freedom to make a difference. And ultimately she kind of saves the day. Um, for those of you guys, she's, there's this huge battle that she's actually disguised herself as a man and she's mm. in, she's fighting and she sees the king, her uncle, is attacked by this, like the, the leader of the enemy army. And he's like crushed under his horse. It's really awful and traumatic. And so she runs over to protect him from being killed by this the bad guy. And the, the bad guy is just like ghostly. They call him the Nazgul, this awful creature. And he goes, who do you think you are? No man can kill me. And she rips off her helmet and she goes, I am no man. And just like destroys him. I mean, there's more to it. But I was just like, yeah, exactly. You're just like, whoa. Um, but the fact that like she has a love for those uh, around her, and she just has like kind of like a fear of missing out, which for, which makes her really you know, go the extra mile to to help others in a really compassionate way. And at the yeah. end of the day, like she was there in the thick of things. And I just, I think having read a lot of saint stories as a child um, and a lot of missionary stories, I've always had that desire to to be part of the story. Um, and I just love that she was able to kind of blend both like she's able to live that quiet life but also mm-hmm. make a difference when it matters most and then she ends mm-hmm. up having just a great story and um she dared she could hold her own ultimately she saves the day and she gets a great guy in the end too <laughs> <laughs> Always the story along. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean just it's a fantastic story but it just resonates me resonates with me because I as like a middle schooler I used to dress up and run around on my parents property they have a couple acres and it's like wooded and I have like a sword and used to run around in like a long dress and reenact the Lord of the Rings (laughs) that's amazing do you think that um having been exposed to characters like that at a young age versus because I know a lot of people say like oh Lord of the Rings is for like older kids and you should read it when you're older because you'll understand it um, do you have any thoughts on having been exposed to that at a younger age versus an older age when you may have been able to understand more of the nuances of it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I will say having, I've read it a few times now on my own and my dad read it out loud 
to me and then also to my younger brothers. I actually heard out loud at different stages of my life, mm-hmm. um, which is just a great gift my parents gave that they read out loud so much. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say that I think there's a great benefit in exposing children to myths and epics like that earlier than may seem um, like it would really, that they would understand. And the reason I say that is because there are such strong themes that any person can pick up on, even if you're little, good versus evil, and that there's, there is good and it's worth fighting for. And I think mm-hmm. that there's, I like what you said there. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I know. And I think it's, I'm going to just defer to one of my favorites. And I think it's Chesterton or, or Lewis who says that the reason we should read fairy tales of children is not because it's as a reminder that there's evil out there, but it's a reminder that evil can be vanquished and that good will win. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think that that should help to frame a child's worldview from an early age. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it allows you to dream because you're not, you're not bounded in by, you know, this, the the fear of you know the immaterial world because you see it through different lens I think having grown up with that it allowed me to dream and I still really see the world around me as like the potential for this adventure that you know we're a part of um yeah absolutely and in fact I'm just going to mention this real quick I'm actually reading this book right now it's kind of an intense yeah. title but it's called 10 ways to destroy the imagination of your child um oh wow I know it's it's great. No, but it's actually a fantastic book. It's by Anthony Esselin, and he kind of talks a little bit about um, some of the things that modernity has done, which can kind of retard, in a sense, and prevent the full development of a child's mind and their sense of wonder. Um, And one of them is exactly that: like keep them away from fairy tales. Don't let them like read these epics because they're too they're sexist, they're misogynistic, they're not very PC, or whatever that may be. and that really prevents a child from being able to experience the world head on. So mm-hmm. anyways, Absolutely. yeah, I'll put the book in the show notes. It's, I highly recommend it. It's really good. Um, I was going to say, I feel like I should definitely take a look at stuff like that. I, I, I feel like I'm trying to do things like that just kind of by intuition, but I need to be reading things like that sort of literature that would say, you know, things that I may do unconsciously that could end up squelching the imagination of my children <laughs> yeah well, I love it because I'm I'm not a parent obviously but I'm reading this book for my book club and someone was like is it like a mommy book club I'm like actually no one in my book club is married or has kids we're just reading this awesome book that's so. fantastic yeah um, so one thing um I wanted to also touch on since you mentioned that your your family read aloud um a friend of mine she's actually a librarian um had posted something and I think I shared it because I just loved it um, posted something on Facebook that said you know reading to your children is beneficial not only because you know they're exposed to literature at such a young age but then they associate reading with comfort and love and like special bonding time with their parents which I thought was you know a really great um, just kind of a great thing to kind of tuck away that even if you're just reading to them, you know, board books when they're babies, they're going to start associating reading with, you know, cuddling and security and warmth and um, that connection with their parents, which is going to in turn cause them to have a love for reading that, you know, they're going to associate reading with comfort, which I think was a really cool, a really cool thought, which I think that Abby, you are definitely a product of that (laughs) philosophy. think it's great (laughs) oh I'm I'm so grateful it's I couldn't even count we spent months I would say as a family reading out loud it was just something we did almost every night after dinner that's awesome I love that yeah but yeah so what is your third literary character Lizzie (laughs) so my third 
It's going to be one we all know and love, the none other than Anne Shirley from. Yes. <laughs> so I remember as a young girl, my mom was like, oh, you should read Anna Green Gables. And I think I, I maybe got through like one chapter of the first book, but I, I never made it any further than that when I was young. So I was clearly just not ready for it. I actually didn't really, I wasn't welcomed into the world of Anne until I was actually a junior in college or maybe I was a senior. No, I was a junior in college. Yeah. So, um, our dear friend Madeline was, I think the first person to, um, introduce me to, uh, Anne of Green Gables. I think it was a joint effort between her and, um, Catherine and, So I, of course, I actually kind of went about it um, kind of in an odd way. I watched the movies first and, of course, loved the movies, but knew that they were different from the book. Then after college, I, my graduation gift to myself was like a box set of uh, paperback Anne of Green Gables, the whole series. And so, of course, I tore through those. So she definitely she came into my life later but it was at a time when i feel like i was very uh, malleable i i was you know just out of college had just kind of figured out you know who i was and and who i wanted to be in this world and the world hadn't beaten me down yet or you know i was still fresh faced and bright eyed and and reading those books as i was transitioning from college into the working world um, I think was something that was deeply impactful because, again, kind of like the, the um, Laura Ingalls Wilder books, it starts off when she's young, goes through all the way through her having, I think, six kids. Is that right, Abby? She has six I kids? I think so. It's, yeah, it's five or six. Okay. Yeah, a lot of kids. <laughs> yeah. um, so just kind of, you know, seeing how she had handled the transitions of growing up and moving out into the world and kind of finding her place within the world was um, deeply impactful to me. Um, I loved that she saw, you know, beauty in everything and joy, even in suffering. Um, And I also really appreciated how she lived her life without trying to rush time. I felt like she really appreciated each phase of life that she was in. And, you know, it coming from, you know, the Catholic world of, you know, trying to get married and, and, you know, have children and find that vocation and find that person and, and, you know, kind of move on with your life. I really loved how she enjoyed her time with, you know, and in school and with her, her friends. And then, you know, she didn't get married to Gilbert right away. Like she, she did teach and she was able to really impact the world beyond just a small circle. Um, I loved how when she was a mother, um, that's probably one of my favorite books um, is the one, I think it's the last book in the series where you know, she she really, she takes her role as a mother seriously and she takes her children seriously and she doesn't, you know, doesn't ever laugh at their concerns or belittle them in any way. And um, I just, I always found myself very inspired to be, you know, the mom that I want to be by you know, teaching or not, not teaching, but um, treating my children the way that she treated hers of kind of like you were just saying, Abby, you know, in um, sparking their imagination and, and trying to guide them to see the beauty in the everyday and to keep that sense of wonder and curiosity. Um, and the last thing, which I, I think this was the most important, you know, going off from college into the world was 
that Anne really knew herself and knew what it meant to stay true. And when she didn't stay true to herself, that's when things didn't go so well. So just kind of reaffirming how important it is to know yourself and how important it is to you know, never really lose that sense of, of wonder and beauty and awe um, at the world. So Anne Shirley from the Anne of Green Gables series is my, my third pick. Oh man, these are such solid choices. <laughs> Lizzie, I, I, hats off. These are great. <laughs> well, thank you. I honestly, uh-huh. Thank you. I honestly purposely didn't include Anne because I felt like she's your girl and you guys, <laughs> no, yeah. I always think of you because you have that Gilbert Blythe mug, right? Oh, I do. That was, I think, was that a gift from you or was that a gift from Madeline? I, I think it might have been for Madeline. Yes. And his smolder looks back at me every time I open the coffee cup <laughs> cup covered. <laughs> That's pretty great. I have my Texas uh, mug, which is about quite as <laughs> exciting, but <laughs> no, it's pretty great. <laughs> oh, man. No, I love it. And that's like, I think we kind of always, always talked about that relationship in, in Anna Green Gables. It's just such a beautiful Yes, no, yes. If we ever do oh, a, uh, an episode about literary men, Gilbert Blythe will definitely be. Oh, a hundred percent. Top three. <laughs> Ooh, this is fun to think about, like the counterparts of who we would be choosing for men. Yeah, yeah. Lucy, Absolutely. we have our assignment. <laughs> for sure, it's going to be happening soon, y'all. <laughs> yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned. It won't be a month out. <laughs> that's right. Um, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I can throw my last one in here, and we have our three for three. Finish strong. Who's our, who's our third person for you? Okay. Parting panic that you're going to say the same person. I don't know why. This is like an irrational fear. <laughs> but I'm going to say Lucy Pevensey from the Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, um, I love her. <laughs> she, yeah, she's just the best. Um, another character who I like see so much of myself in and I'd hope to be more like her just because you see again like the growth of her as a person throughout the, all the series um mm-hmm. and so again for them who haven't had a chance to read these books also wonderful stories for people of any age um mm-hmm. and I don't think you're ever too old to read fairy tales and there's something more oh. beautiful that you find them as an adult because you have more context for the stories um yes but so Lucy is part of the four children who originally find their way through a wardrobe in Professor Diggory Kirk's um, study during the during World War II. They're sent off to the country and they find their way through this magical wardrobe, which opens up into the land of Narnia, which is this beautiful world, which originally was, you know, kind of under a spell from this evil witch. And then Aslan, who is the Christ-like figure in the book as a lion, comes and breaks the spell, offers up his life, um, and ultimately comes back to life because he knows the deep magic that the White Witch did not know. And mm-hmm. he crowns the four children as the, the reigning monarchs of Narnia, and they lead Narnia. And there's a lot more adventures that the intervening books go into from, you know, there's the Horse and His Boy, which they make a brief appearance. There's Prince Caspian, and then the Voyage on Treader, the two other ones, which Lucy comes into mm-hmm. most. And she just really has always struck me because she has St. Therese-like littleness that is just like she's my jam like saying I think I say this every episode she's like my favorite person she's like my spiritual older sister and I just I love her so much Mm -hmm. um but Lucy has that kind of Therese like littleness like she 
she tells Father Christmas at one point that she wants to go fight in the battle and he has to like remind her that that's not where Aslan has called her to be. Um, mm-hmm. Aslan wanted her to be with him to accompany mm-hmm. him to the stone table and then to go onto the castle and to like free all the people who have been captured by the White Witch. So there's this she's a recognition like she wants to do great things, but sometimes her deep desire to do great things is to love in a big way. Um, oh, yeah. And that's something that I wrestle with as, as an adult, as a teenager, as a child, I've always kind of felt this tug of like, want to just like give away everything, go to a missionary field and save the world. Like, I don't know what that would look like, but I just have this desire to make a profound difference in the world and the lives mm-hmm. of those around me. And sometimes I think that I have to remind myself that that desire is good. And I think it's definitely of God, but that might actually be channeled into smaller things. And that those mm-hmm. heroic moments where I want to like do the big thing and like be like, hey, win and save, save Middle Earth kind of moment uh, might actually need to be being extra patient with that coworker or being really thoughtful towards my brother or, you know, not yelling at someone in traffic. Um, because <laughs> yes. it, it, yeah, it may see, it may actually take like gargantuan effort on my part to mm-hmm. not, to, not to cede to the enemy um, in those moments. But that's why I love Queen Lucy. You know, she's the queen. She's called Queen Lucy the Valiant. Um, mm. Little nerd moment here, but <laughs> Valiant comes from the Latin word Valari, which is to be strong. But it also, we kind of have this associate. Yeah, it has this association too in our language of um, there's an honor. There's a sense of um, of chivalry almost. But obviously in this tent, this one, it's connected to a woman. So there's like a different element of that, almost like a feminine strength. And I love that because mm-hmm. I think that it reminds us that I think that just in general, sometimes our faith is, you know, the Catholic faith is kind of made to seem very like weak and feminine and like, as if it's a bad thing, not like feminine is a good thing. Um, right. And I think it makes it unappealing both to men and to women, frankly. Um, Absolutely. And it's not meant to be weak. It's meant to be very strong. And we're called to be strong in our faith. Um, mm-hmm. And Lucy is willing to listen in wisdom and to help lead Narnia well. Um, and there's this moment that I'll just share in the Voyage of John Treader that I, I come back to, and this is something I've like heard in prayer that has really been on my heart. But at one point they're in this really awful predicament and they think that there's no hope. And she like turns and asks Aslan for help. He's not there. She doesn't see him, but she knows that he's listening. And she says, mm-hmm. Aslan, if you ever love this, please help. And mm-hmm. Aslan in the form of an albatross flies by the boat and whispers to her as he passes and says, courage, dear heart. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I love that phrase because it just, it's so beautiful. And it just reminds me of the fact that she asked Aslan for help and he came mm-hmm. and she trusted that he was listening. Um, and that beautiful childlike trust comes from a place of great confidence in, in Aslan. And I've just always thought that was so beautiful. And as a character, Lucy, she's caring, she's compassionate. She's also witty. She kind of she gets a little bit salty with Eustace in the Prince in the Voyage on Trader a few times, which I just love. Yeah, <laughs> there's just some great. It's just a great book, and she's just a wonderful character. Um, and I thank Sue Solis for creating her. So, yeah, that's my absolutely. third one. <laughs> yeah, she's a she's a good one too. Um, I know I I loved how in. Um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think I had to read that for school, so I took kind of a more of an analytic dive into it. Ooh, um, yeah. But yeah, I loved how, like, just how trusting she was, and and how you know she had to convince all of the other children. She was kind of the the catalyst, and and just her her young trusting uh, heart um, 
really was the, the, you know, the whole reason that the story happened in the first place. And then that, you know, she didn't lose it as she got older. I always loved that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're so right. And they talk about how like Susan loses the ability to go to Narnia because she yes. quote unquote grows up too much. Um, <laughs> she becomes but I just, a little bit too crusty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. But, Whereas like Lucy is able to be um, both little in a sense, um, but also, yeah, she's like willing to seek that adventure. And there's that Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one of the best parts of the book is like we have to go we just go on and seek the adventure that lies before us and that's just kind of my motto recently <laughs> uh, yeah, I love that uh, definitely love that yeah these are some, some strong ladies you've got going on here <laughs> yeah. one of my favorite things about you know literature and especially classic literature it's just the you know the the virtues that you find personified and how it gives you an example of people living out those virtues in a way that that you could be um but still also of course finding the best of those of those parts and um you know i I do love the characters where they get a little you know they're not always perfect and and they get caught up sometimes and and end up having to fix a mess that they created i definitely can I appreciate that, but um, just I definitely love how some of those those stronger virtues of, like you say, um, courage and and bravery and resilience are are able to find themselves personified in literature through these women. I yeah, and they're just so much inspirations. I think as we go about our daily lives, but mm-hmm. these characters range from hey, most of mine are fictional, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, they're absolutely. they really are grounded in and wanting to to care for others um mm-hmm. and that's something i've just noticed even about the characters that we've all mentioned is that the moments of like seeming heroism that they they live through it's always done because of a concern for another person mm-hmm. and i just think that that directed toward being like directed towards the person is really beautiful and the fact that their their motivation for things is very much a selfless thing mm-hmm. so absolutely yeah all right. Well, I think we've definitely covered a lot of ground. <laughs> Pretty much all the all the all the basics, all the time periods, all the genres. <laughs> I think you're right. Maybe we should think about doing the the three heroes next time. Yes, I think that would be uh, that would be really fun. I'd have to definitely give that a lot of thought. <laughs> you can talk about Gilbert. I will. I will feed that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Oh man. Well, thank you so oh. much, Lizzie. I'm so glad we got to finally share our characters together. I've been holding on to these for a while. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So we, we encourage our listeners to, you know, if you haven't read some of these books, we definitely encourage you to um, you know, check them out, give them a read. And uh if you have recommendations for people we should read, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea, definitely. All right. Well, have a wonderful evening. Thanks. You too. See you next time. <laughs> See you next time. Bye. Bye.